Welcome to Scream Scene, the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order, and then we rank them from best to worst. In the left corner, we have Benjamin Rowe. In the right corner, we have Sarah Rowe. (laughs) Thank you all for listening today. How are you doing, Sarah? I'm falling apart. <laughs> yeah, you're you turned 29 recently and immediately your body just started to like shutting down. Yeah, shedding parts and like leaking oil. I currently cannot turn my head to the right. So you're Batman. Well, no, I can still turn my head to the left. Okay. To the left, to the left. Uh so this is just like a a neck pain that you have from like I think I just slept on it poorly. Yeah, so I have, in, like, the last year, had a shoulder injury from, like, working out too hard on it. And it's on that same side, so it might be related to that. And then you also got yourself a new tattoo as, like, a birthday present to yourself. And that is, like, quite um, raw still. Yes. Uh, For the first time out of my five-ish tattoos, I have bruising on it. Yeah, you normally heal really well, which is incredible because you also normally do like the whole tattoo color and everything in one sitting. Yeah, this was like five hours straight. And normally that's not a problem for you, and this time you learned that you were a human being with human weaknesses and frailties. Yeah. What the fuck, body? <laughs> I mean, I guess it's fitting that for our logo, I'm the bride of Frankenstein because you just need to continually take out and replace certain parts of my body. Well, what are we watching today, Ben? Today, Sarah, we are watching Voodoo Man from 1944. Okay. It's funny because Voodoo Man sounds like the name of a like racially insensitive superhero. Ooh. But, um, in fact, the actual name of the voodoo-themed superhero from Marvel Comics who hangs out with Doctor Strange is Brother Voodoo. He's black, you see. Yeah. Well... So Voodoo Man is the eighth of Bela Lugosi's Monogram Nine. Okay. Uh, all of which he made for producer Sam Katzman's um, Banner Productions uh, company, which produced low-budget B-movies for distribution by Monogram Pictures. Some of these have been pretty... Interesting, like the Invisible Ghost. They've they've really run a gamut from yeah, like Diamonds in the Rough, like the Invisible Ghost, totally batshit crazy, like The Corpse Vanishes, barely horror, like Bowery at Midnight. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also had like a lot of his Monogram Nine aren't horror. Like he's done a bunch of um, team ups with the Bowery Boys. He's done some crime movies and some Nazi like espionage World War Two movies. Um, we've just been watching the horror ones. So yeah, they've kind of run a gamut of low-budget trash. <laughs> but this is Lugosi's eighth movie at Monogram. Is it our eighth movie with voodoo themes? Have there been more? Have there been less? So in terms of the movies that we've covered on the show, mm-hmm. the first is White Zombie, episode 32, if you want to take a lesson, and that's from 1932, so 12 years before this. 
Um, and that also stars Bela Lugosi. Yes. The whole thing of it is kind of a, a Dracula shtick, though. But it, it does rely on, like, Haitian voodoo as, like, a supernatural element. Yeah. It swaps out the Eastern European vampire thing for the Haitian zombie thing. And we've covered three other movies dealing with zombies and or voodoo. Okay. Uh, on the list. Black Moon from 1934. Right. So that's episode 46 if you want to take a listen. And that is set on fantasy Haiti. And there's voodoo and zombies, but really the horror is, oh my god, black people. Yeah, it's it's that the natives are going to have an uprising against their colonial masters, and we're supposed to be sympathetic to the colonial masters. Yeah. Revolt of the Zombies from 1936, episode 63. We covered this on the show, but it is on the miscellaneous part of the list. Yeah, that was in Cambodia, and it was... The thing about that movie, I think the main reason it's not on the list is because there wasn't enough revolt or zombies for it to really yeah, be anything. Yeah, it was just like, they're zombies because they're following a leader. Yeah. Yeah, it... Meh. And then, kind of the top choice out of these is I Walked with the Zombie from 1943. So, like, probably like just under a year mm-hmm. before this movie. And that's episode 104. And it's in the top five, I think. It's ranked yeah. pretty high. Um, and that's the second Val Luton picture. Yeah. Um, and what I kind of noticed when I was going through this is that, like, White Zombie ranked fairly high for when we were in 1932. And now yeah. it's, like, maybe about, like, halfway down the list, a little higher up. Yeah. And then I Walked With the Zombie is super high. Um, and both of those movies dealt in some way with the cultural aspects of voodoo. Mm-hmm. White Zombie, not so much, but because it's the first one, it, it does a little bit. But I Walked With a Zombie is right in there talking about, like, the history of this island mm-hmm. and the horrors of slavery and things like that. Both movies felt like they had done their research and done the work to lend themselves a little bit of authenticity rather than just kind of using zombies and voodoo as kind of just a um, a gimmick. Exactly. And that's kind of what Revolt of the Zombies did. And the thing is, is that, like, in all these cases, even I Walked with a Zombie, voodoo is kind of treated as inherently black, mm. definitely inherently other. Mm-hmm. Um, and at least in the case of, like, Black Moon and probably Revolt of the Zombies, the, it's the idea that the fear is coming from xenophobia. Yeah. Of being like, oh no. Yeah, I mean the presumed audience for Hollywood movies in this time period, unless you were seeing something that was like at a niche theater, was white Protestant Americans. Yeah, so I guess in that case, voodoo's pretty other. In a lot of cases, the idea of like voodoo zombie, even I walked with a zombie, Mm -hmm. because that title was given to Luton from the marketing department, because zombies are in right now, Um, it's all just like a hook to be like, whoa, what is that? Mm -hmm. There have been other zombie and voodoo movies in this time period, Um, but two ones that I want to bring kind of our attention to, which were like major films, um, but are comedies, uh, are... The Ghost Breakers from 1940, and King of the Zombies from 1941. Mm-hmm. 
And again, in both those cases, it's kind of like, oh, we're, we've crash landed on this island. We're stuck here. Oh no, there's natives here. Oh no, they practice voodoo. We're completely out of our element. Oh no, us poor white people. But yay, Bob Hope is here to save us. Yeah, the Ghost Breakers, I remember Dan Aykroyd said that that was like an influence for him on Ghostbusters. King of the Zombies is, um, in addition to being a horror comedy, it's a Manton Moreland vehicle. And Manton Moreland was an African-American comedian whose shtick was very much like a minstrel show, step and fetch it kind of character. So that's a movie that, like, in addition to not having been watched for the show because it's comedy, it's just a real uncomfortable watch for, like, a modern audience. Yeah. So knowing Monogram and their history of just, you know, oh, this trend is in, let's just spend a week to make a movie about it, I get a feeling that that's what this voodoo man is going to be. Yeah, I don't have a lot of... um expectations of authenticity here. This movie is the first screenplay of its writer, Robert Charles. Never trust a man with two first names. (laughs) The director is William Bodine, whose work we previously saw on The Ape Man, also with Bela Lugosi for Monogram. You may remember him as the former A-list director who fell on hard times and was forced to take on poverty road jobs in order to earn a living, and it kind of broke him, and he ultimately adopted a kind of ruthless churn-him-out-as-soon-as-possible reputation and became known as One-Shot Bodine. So Bodine has made seven films since The Ape Man 11 months ago, and Voodoo Man was shot in seven days, Sarah, so... I told you, just take a week. Yeah, you weren't joking. (laughs) Uh, You can learn more about William Bodine in our episode on The Ape Man, which is episode 101. However, this is not just a Bela Lugosi movie. He is joined by two of our other favorites, John Carradine and George Zuko. Okay, I'm actually very excited for this now. (laughs) So we first saw Carradine in Captive Wild Woman, and we covered his background in episode 106. And we enjoyed his performance in that movie so much that I think it significantly boosted that movie's ranking on the list. He's made five films in the interim, including the Manton Moreland horror comedy Revolt of the Zombies for Monogram, which is a semi-remake of the 1941 King of the Zombies. It has nearly the same premise Manson Moreland's playing basically the same character, where he's like the goofy sidekick of a pilot who crashes on this island. Um, In Revolt of the Zombies, we find out that the zombies are being made on this island by a mad scientist, played by John Carradine. But the twist is, in the climax, we find out that Carradine is working for the Nazis and making the zombies to be a zombie army to serve the Nazis. (laughs) George Zuko, meanwhile, is like the older model of John Carradine, and we last saw him in the utterly insane The Mad Ghoul, and um, yeah, if you want to learn more about George Zuko, he's been in a lot of previous episodes. What was The Mad Ghoul? The Mad Ghoul was the one where he's a chemist who's studying the Mayans to put people to sleep death. Right. And then you need to get hearts to make them not be sleep dead anymore, and then he takes the poison and dies. Mm-hmm. That brings up an interesting thing to just point out. Uh, there have been, at least in the horror genre up to this point, movies about 
ghouls, that is the undead rising, mm-hmm. uh, in some sort of manner. And there does seem to be some kind of separation between ghouls and zombies, mm-hmm. uh, which are specifically from voodoo. Yeah, and zombies generally are... It's also about like a difference of what these undead do after they're back. Mm-hmm. Like a zombie is a dead brought back to life, or also you're put in some sort of near-death pufferfish poison state or whatever. Um, but then the use case for them is they do work. Like, classically, it's they run your plantation for you, and you skirt around anti-slavery laws. Um, but, like, they, they, they are toilers. They are slaves. Ghouls, on the other hand, the key distinction is, like, they're rising from the dead, and it's, like, there isn't really the mysticism involved. But also, ghouls eat people. Mm-hmm. That's the big difference. Um, ghoul is specifically, like, an undead who, like, eats other people, and in a much more, like, om-nom-nom way than, like, vampires. Yeah, we haven't had any of those types of ghouls mm-hmm. here. They've all been, like, oh, I, I just happen to be back alive, and I, I follow commands here and there. Like I mean, the, the, mad, the mad ghoul was kind of the closest because he was at least having, he, he needed the, the hearts of people to live, right? Yes, but, that's yeah. fair, yeah. So what are you thinking? I'm thinking zombies. What? You know, the undead. Ghouls. So the lead actress in this film is Wanda McKay, a former model and TWA hostess who had started acting in minor roles at Paramount in 1939, but moved to Monogram so she could get starring roles. She was also the last wife of singer and actor Hoagie Carmichael, and we actually have seen her before. She was the heroine of Bowery at Midnight. Oh. Also, a returning actress in this movie is Louise Curry, who was the heroine from The Ape Man. So, Voodoo Man was originally released February 21st, 1944. It has recently been reissued, fully restored on Blu-ray by Olive Films? Olive Films? What are you doing? They've got this huge catalog where they're, like, doing, like, really in-depth, put-the-work-in-make-it-look-good restorations on Blu-ray of, like, public-domain movies. Why? Like, there can't be a market in this. I mean, someone's got to do the work. Everyone else puts out these public-domain movies and they look like shit because no one puts any effort in. You know, I guess your market is people like us who have very (laughs) niche movie interests. Um, It's available to stream on Hoopla, Google Play, YouTube, and iTunes, soon-to-be Apple movies. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, folks, if you would like to watch along and experience whatever the Voodoo Man has in store for us, you can go to our playlist on our website, screenscenepodcast.tumblr.com, and find a copy of the movie there. You're going to hear a brief musical interlude, and when we come back, we will discuss Voodoo Man from 1944, directed by William Bodine. See you on the other side, everybody.
Welcome back to Scream Scene. We just finished watching Voodoo Man from 1944, directed by William Bodine. Ben, what did you think of this movie? Sarah, I really enjoyed this. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of fun watching it. This movie was fucking great. <laughs> I loved it. It is not good. No. But it's a ton of fun, both for its sort of bonkers plot, and also it's one of those movies where it's fun to like spot all the like low-budget movie mistakes. But best of all, in my book, is it's not boring, which is kind of the cardinal sin of Poverty Row movies. I definitely agree. I think... One thing that Monogram always has going for it is because it is the lowest rung on that Poverty Road ladder, it just does insane things to mix it up and not make it boring. Yeah, I think in general, when they do stuff like this in the Poverty Row movies, that's when they're fun. Mm -hmm. When you're watching them just going like, what the fuck is this? Like... (laughs) That's when they're fun. Mm -hmm. Um, When they're just trying to, like, actually copy what the big studios are doing. um, Then it's boring. Yeah, exactly. What was also quite enjoyable is seeing Bela Lugosi, George Zuko, and John Carradine all in the same picture. Yeah, and, and their characters actually share scenes together and are all in the same room and stuff. Because sometimes in movies like this that like tell you like oh yeah it's all these actors like they cheap you out of it by putting them all in like different scenes and they never actually appear together like black friday right but part of that is lugosi and karloff had some bad blood or like brian cranston and godzilla are never actually in a scene together in godzilla (laughs) sure i was thinking of maybe ones that we've watched for the show (laughs) um so let's let's talk about the story which is wild. It is very interesting. Um, I will say that all of the marketing and even the movie itself is like Bella Lugosi's The Voodoo Man. And I don't think... I wouldn't call him The Voodoo Man. You technically know. It's George Zuko because he does the voodoo. Yes. But But Bella Lugosi is like the main man. antagonist. The main man. Mm-hmm. So in this picture, we jump right in with a young girl driving to, I believe... Twin City? Twin Falls. Twin Falls. Which just made me think of Twin Peaks. Uh, And she asks a uh, gas station attendant, who is George Zuko, for directions. After she leaves, he calls ahead, and we see a trap laid for her to divert her off the road, stop her car, and kidnap her. Mm -hmm. The news hits, and apparently she's the third girl this month to have gone missing. Mm Mm-hmm. This catches the eye of S.K. at Banner Productions, a.k.a. not Sam Katzman. I mean, yes. Yes. It's, it, that's the key to this movie. This is Sam Katzman, the producer of this movie, at the production company this movie was made by. Yes. And S.K. wants to assign screenwriter Ralph Dawson to write a new horror based on these disappearances. But it'll have to wait until after his wedding, which is, like, this week. Mm-hmm. Ralph is driving out to Twin Falls, but his car runs out of gas. Which just, like, Twin Falls just so happens to be the town where his fiance is, mm-hmm. and where the wedding-to-be is, which, like, that's really weird if your boss is like, 
hey, go check this out. And you're like, no, I'm busy for my wedding. And it's like, actually, they're in the same place. That's weird. (laughs) Uh, He is picked up by a young lady named Stella, who turns out to be the maid of honor. Mm -hmm. Now, by this point, we've seen that she's asked Zuko for directions and the trap is laid for her. But Rolf's presence proves a problem because all of these other women have been alone. So they have to wait for Rolf to go to the nearby house of a Dr. Marlowe to try to use the phone to call for help because the car is broken down. And as he's doing that, Stella is kidnapped and the car moved. By the time Rolf makes it back to the car, he thinks Stella's just left him and he feels like, oh, I'm such a dope, whatever. Um, So he finds his way into Twin Falls, gets gas for his car, whatever, and he starts to get concerned because Stella isn't at the house with Betty, his fiance, and it's like past midnight and she should have been here by now, so they call the police. Or at least the sheriff and his deputy, which appears to be the only police Twin Falls has, so that must mean this is like a real small town. Yeah. The police do pay Dr. Marlowe a visit. Turns out Dr. Marlowe is Bella Lugosi, um, but it seems like everything's fine, so I don't think we need to go snooping around. Yeah. No one with a goatee could be evil. Or anyone who looks like Bella Lugosi. <laughs> Anyways, we see what they have planned for Stella. Lugosi's wife, Evelyn, has been dead for 22 years and has been in basically a catonic state. She hasn't aged for these 22 years. So you can kind of be like, oh, okay, maybe she's like a zombie. She's dead, but not dead. Blah, blah, blah. Thanks to voodoo magic as performed by Zuko, they're basically taking the life force from the captured women and trying to stick it into Evelyn to bring her back to life. But these attempts keep failing because they need to find a suitable donor, I guess. Yeah, voodoo life essence transference is sort of like blood transfusions. Mm-hmm. The impression I kind of got was, like, they were failing to bring her back to life fully, but that, like, the regular doses of, like, Lady Soul were what was keeping her in the catatonic, not-quite-dead-and-also-not-aging kind of state. Well, this has to be fairly recent that they're trying this, because three girls this month? That's true. I don't know. The backstory on this movie is very murky. Yeah. Which I have some comments about to go into later, so we'll just move on. So Stella isn't the right donor, um, and after the ceremony procedure is performed, Stella remains almost like a zombie, like the other women we see. So these women are looked after by Toby, who is John Carradine. One night, you know, he's just like... Talking to Stella, oh, what pretty eyes you have, let me touch your hair, I'm not a creep. Uh, And he forgets to close her door, so Stella wanders out to the road and is picked up by the police. Gosh, the case just solved itself. For one of the girls, anyways. She's still in the trance when she's taken to Betty and Ralph's. Um, And, you know, as they bring Stella in, they talk about calling a doctor, um, but Dr. Marlowe, who'd figured out by this point where Stella had gone, uh, he just arrives and no one questions it. In looking her over, he steals her earring, and with this earring and Zuko's voodoo magic, they summon Stella back to the house. Rolf and Betty the next morning go to Dr. Marlowe for answers to basically be like, hey, you seem to know something about this trance, like, where could she have gone, whatever. And that's when they happen to see Evelyn, Dr. Marlowe's dead 
wife just wandering around. And so they are a little suspicious and creeped out, and they're like, hey, let's get out of here. Yeah, because there's a big painting of Evelyn on the wall in the living room, and, like, Lugosi had already explained to them, this is my dead wife, when she just, you know, happens to walk by in the hallway. It's like, Yeah. But the doctor has time to steal Betty's glove and basically do voodoo magic to bring her back to the house. So Betty arrives in a trance and is in the middle of this, like, ceremony procedure um, by the time Ralph catches up. And he tries to stop it by, like, just walking into the room being like, hey, what is this? (laughs) And just getting knocked out cold in one punch. The cops do arrive. Ralph did at least call for reinforcements. Um, But they arrive at the end of the ceremony when Betty's now fainted and Evelyn's standing. Dr. Marlowe grabs a knife because that's what you do when when cops show up and they just immediately shoot him. No questions asked. They will ask questions after everyone's dead. I mean, I blame Lugosi on this one because Marlowe, like, they come in with guns pointed at him. And his reaction to that is to, like, see them with the guns turn around and grab a machete and then, like, wave it over his head threateningly. Like, he should have, like, that's a poor decision. And, by the way, bringing the knife to the gunfight, like, <laughs> it was a bad call. When Marlo dies, Evelyn dies because reasons. Yeah. And when she has died, all the other women kind of come back to life. They come out of their trances. Cut to... Post-wedding and pre-honeymoon, Ralph puts a script for the Voodoo Man on Sam Katzman's desk and suggests Bella Lugosi for the lead part. The end. (sighs) So this is a world where Bella Lugosi exists as an actor, and we have Dr. Marlowe who, like, looks like Bella Lugosi, and Mm -hmm. no one, like, reacts to it. So there's one of two possibilities, okay? Mm -hmm. So, possibility one... And this is what I always tend to believe whenever this question gets raised by, like, clickbait articles, um, is that the character, like, in the world of the movie, the actor doesn't look like that. Or, like, looks slightly different from that. I guess Dr. Marlowe has the goatee. Yeah, or it's like a case where, like, you know how you meet people occasionally and you're like, oh, you kind of resemble this celebrity, or whatever. Sure. It's like that. So that's possibility number one. Possibility number two, we are not seeing the real-life events that occurred, which we know because we're not telepathic or anything. We are sitting on a couch watching the movie they made with Bella Lugosi of the real events, and they are including... That's a bit of an Ouroboros, because we see the origin story of the script itself. Right, right. But that's because that's part of the story. He's written into the, the, the script that he throws down on Sam Katzman's desk has the scene where he throws the script down on Sam Katzman's desk in it. But don't you think that if this is really the case, if this is like a reenactment of right. their experience, yeah. that fucking Ralph wouldn't have just been punched out in a single hit? That's very true. He would have written himself to be a bit more heroic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's surprisingly well constructed. It's yeah, it's not bad, especially given that the plot is like elements from like three different monogram movies squished together. Yeah, both in terms of like the way it's edited, the pacing, even just like shot by shot by shot. It um it's really nice. It it flows. It only lags in certain parts, 
Um, but that's really before we get to most of the action, so I kind of excuse it, also because I know that they need to fill out time. Yeah, there's some typical Poverty Row kind of like watch people put the phone on the receiver and walk to the door and then walk to their car kind of like time filler stuff, but it's not like as egregious as it's been in some of these movies. Yeah, and just kind of related to that, it was just very interesting visually because of like the use of props or even lighting. Like, when they're in the ceremony room, there's, um, like, a light behind something that's simulating flames of a fire going across the room. Um, and it's just, it just makes it very interesting. It doesn't feel bland. Yeah, which is a problem with, like, a lot of these Poverty Row movies is usually you just get the feeling that they, like, set the camera, you know, a medium focal distance away from the actor's you know, just blasted the set with light, had everyone, you know, okay, two people are in the scene, you stand camera left, you stand camera right, all right, roll it, do the whole scene, cut, great, we're done. They were very careful to only light Bella Lugosi from below. Right, yeah, he all, his house is seemingly, you would have to assume, lit with floodlights from below at, like, the corners of walls and stuff. But, like, even in the same, with people in the same room as him, only he has, like, the bot. It is great. Yeah, he's always <laughs> lit from below. It's very good. Legosi's always trying to bring back his wives in these movies. Yeah, that was an interesting thing you, you noted. Because <laughs> Karloff... Karloff's like, always trying to bring people back from the dead. Yeah. Legosi's always trying to bring back his wife. Like, this is the third or fourth time we've seen this. And this movie is basically corpse vanishes mm-hmm. in, like, the broadest of strokes... But instead of bringing his wife back by stealing the glands of women with science, it's we're stealing the souls of women with voodoo. Mm -hmm. But, like, the basic setup with, you know, it's him and they capture them and bring them back to the lair and he's got, like, the old woman maid and, like, the, you know, weird kind of um, uh, hunched over, like, dumb assistant (laughs) And like Listen, all of this Karen's kind of stuff. Karen's only doing that because otherwise he would be taller than Lugosi. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, it's also, I think, part of the like quasi Igor sort of thing. Quasimodo? Uh, I love it when Lugosi is cast as people who have names like Dr. Richard Marlowe. Like, Mr. British British. Yeah, like, like, see, there's your suspension of disbelief that like Bella Lugosi is ever. Not someone from Eastern Europe. Listen, maybe he married into the family, and maybe he had to change his name because he's on the run. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the the other thing that Lugosi always has that's in this movie, like, full force, is unexplained hypnosis powers. George Zuko is a voodoo warlock. Okay, cool. He's doing his voodoo stuff. But, like, Lugosi can just hypnotize people so that they will come downstairs and then get voodooed. And it's... We've established that Bella Lugosi himself has these powers, yeah. not the characters well, he this plays. Well, this is what I'm saying. Like, this is the convention of all Bella Lugosi movies, is that he just has this power, and I love that it's just a thing that happens. And you just accept it. Like, yeah. you just kind of have to. Yeah. Speaking of George Zuko doing voodoo, who boy, his costume? Yeah, so they're in, like... I, the way like magician I would, robes. Okay, yeah, they're in high school graduation robes with like cutouts of like moons and stars and, and hands. hands put on them, <laughs> and then 
Zuko's got like a witch doctor, quote unquote, style like headdress on, and he's doing. He paints his face up with markings. Yeah, and he's doing like kind of a boogity boogity, like faux, you know, native language kind of chanting through the voodoo stuff. And I mean. (laughs) And I'm just like, obviously, especially from this time period, but all the time, not everyone. Is perfect. Everyone's a little problematic. Right. But I think, like, I was willing to give George Zuko a bit of a pass in things like The Mummy. Right. You know? But at this point, it's like, because we also just had The Mad Ghoul. Right. Like, at this point, Zuko, you're, you're beyond being complicit in this, I think. The thing is, is that, like, his character is not... Like, he's, it's not like a whitewashing, it's not like a white, it's not like, in in The Mummy, he's like a white guy playing, like, an Egyptian. Yeah. Um, in this, like, his character's name is, like... Nicholas. Right. So it's, it's supposed to be, like, he's some white guy who's, like, learned voodoo, and is doing some crazy voodoo stuff. Um, the thing about it to me is, like, I couldn't get mad at it, because it's so fucking silly looking. Like, it's so ridiculous, and Zuko is... Just going whole hog wild. Just with chewing the, the scenery. Yeah, with the acting. He's just making all these over-the-top faces and, like, looking right in the camera, all crazy-eyed. Meanwhile, Carradine is here showing off his range. Because <laughs> the last time we saw him, he was in Captive Wild Woman. He was doing kind of the genteel, charming, but I'll actually kill you mad scientist thing. Pencil sort of, mustache. Yeah, sort of a... Um, Thinner, taller Lionel Atwell. Uh, And here, (laughs) he's got all of his hair combed over to one side of his head in like an emo haircut. And the side that isn't combed over is just left like sticking up and messy. And he's hunched over. So yeah, he's not visibly a foot taller than everyone else. And he's doing this kind of like shuffling walk. And he's, but he's not doing the like, Fritz, like, yes, master, voice. He's doing, like, redneck Appalachian, like, voice, like, oh, you got a pretty mouth to, like, all of the, like, girls they bring in. And he's just, like, muttering stuff to himself all the time yeah. and, like, stroking the girls' hairs. And it just feels like, okay, it's it's not a bad performance. It's It's actually a very, I think it's a very good performance, and it's showing, like, how good of an actor John Carradine is. It's just a little bit too convincing a performance in the context of a movie where, you know, they forget to put the sound effects in when they do rear projection car scenes. Yeah. <laughs> like, performances in movies like this kind of come in two flavors. Wooden, hello, Janet, we should go over to the old Willow's place. Or over the top, you know, like, <laughs> you'll never escape now. But, like, an actual convincing performance of a kind of, like, threatening, like, dim-witted pervert, it, it's, it's, it feels... Out of place a little bit? It, it's, it's, it's not only out of place, but because it's, like, a good performance, you feel creeped out by it in a way that I think you wouldn't if it wasn't as good a performance, right? You would just be like, ah, yeah, he's the, like, gross assistant. But, like, it's sort of the same thing with Captain Wild Woman, right? Where he was injecting, like, a level of believability into the mad scientist that that, like, archetype usually doesn't get. 
Yeah, it's 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 wild. Like nobody told John Carradine like you're not supposed to be trying. I'm sure Zuko said something to him. <laughs> yeah, I want to know. See, this is the thing that's great about this movie. I want to know what like Zuko and Carradine and Lugosi like did and talked about like off camera because like these are all guys. Like Carradine's just at the start of this. Yeah. But these are all guys whose careers are going to follow this similar arc. Of kind of ending up in, like, bad, bad B-movies for one reason or another, right? Like, Lugosi's got a morphine habit to pay for. Carradine's got his touring Shakespeare company that he runs himself to pay for. (laughs) And Zuko just had his, like, never-say-no-to-a-job policy. So they're all just ending up slumming it. And I just, yeah, I want to hear, like... You know, Carradine be like, yeah. So when you play a mad scientist, like, what what are you? You know, what what's your strategy? What's your method? You know. Yeah, it's uh, would have liked to have been a fly on the wall there. Mm-hmm. The other kind of main actors: Todd Andrews as Ralph, Wanda McKay as Betty, and Louise Curry as Stella. Okay. Yeah, they're just here. They're passable. I mean, um, Wanda McKay and Louise Curry are very pretty, and Todd Andrews, his heart beats, and yeah. he he has he can uh, make sounds with his mouth by like using the air in his lungs. But you know, yeah, they're, they're passable. <laughs> they're fine. Sarah, yes, Ben. Have you ever heard of Manos, the Hands of Fate? That sounds like a comic book thing you've told me about. No, it's a movie. Um, It got... It's like a really cheap, really crappy movie from the 60s that came about because this guy, uh, Warren, uh, was... He made a bet with some other friend of his that, like, he could make a movie. Like, they came out of watching a movie, and he was like, ah, I could do that. And his friend was like, no, you can't. Making movies is hard. And he's like, yeah, give me, like, $10,000, and, like, I can totally make a movie. Like, it's not that hard. You know, whatever. Is this, like, the lost skeleton of Cadaver? No, that's a parody from, like, the 90s of, like, old 50s movies. This is real. Okay. Like, Lost Skeleton of Cadaver is supposed to be funny. This was, like, this guy set out to for real make a movie... With no money, no idea how movies work, no, like, experienced actors, sure. just nothing. In the 60s, before, like, camcorders and, like, iMovie existed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he made his movie, he won his bet, it showed in, like, a theater or two for a couple weeks. It is ludicrously crappy. And no one would have ever cared about it ever again, except that they used it on an episode of Mystery Science Theater that kind of blew it into being a cult film, and now it's, like, you know, the current title holder for, like, worst movie ever made. Like, it's kind of replaced Plan 9 from Outer Space in that regard. I think Plan 9 kind of got that title first, because, like, Plan 9 at least had, like, real distribution, so enough people had seen it. No one had really seen this movie. And the thing about it is, the plot of Manos, The Hands of Fate, makes no sense. That's one of the things that, like in addition to all of its many other failings people bring up. But what plot it does have and what plot you can kind of piece together is this movie. He ripped off this movie. Well, this movie came out like 20 years earlier, and they didn't have home video in the 60s. 
So my thinking is, like, the reason why the plot of Manos is so, like, disjointed and wild is because he's he's not just, like, ripping off this movie. It's, like, his, like, vague recollections of this movie from, like, 20 years ago. Interesting. Yeah, like, and it, it you know... It's it's the same setup. It's the same kind of stuff. Like there's a character in it who's ex- doing exactly John Carradine's bit here. Um, there's a character who looks exactly like Lugosi does with the um, uh, the beard. There's no like voodoo. Instead, it's like weird satanic occult stuff. But and like the the weird demon or whatever they're summoning. That's Manos. But the hands on the robes are the same deal and everything. <laughs> Like, yeah, it's it's kind of wild, because it's just like, this other shoe dropped in my brain when I saw this movie, and I was like, wait. <laughs> this movie is so silly and ridiculous that for me it kind of loops back around to being fun. It's in that, like, devil bat category. Yeah. Um, every idea in it has kind of been done already in a monogram movie, but just not in this way. Um, like, even the meta joke about the main character being the author of the movie and the whole movie being this weird meta movie is, like, a refined, better version of the, like, total non-sequitur joke from the Ape Man. Yeah. But, yeah, I for me personally, the weird meta commentary stuff was, like, I think my favorite thing about this movie because not only do you have these bookends, but... Because Ralph is a writer, he goes around the movie, like, making comments about, like, oh, like, zombies? God, like, that's, this is, you know, those are the worst. (laughs) That's a screenwriter's worst nightmare. Yeah, like, at one point, Betty, like, looks at someone in a trance and she's like, what are those things called? And he's like, oh, zombies, yeah, they only exist in movies. And he's, like, making comments about how, like, the events are, like, so dumb they're, like, out of a bad horror movie and stuff like that. I don't know. I just really enjoyed all of that. Mm-hmm. So where would you like to rank this? Where where were you looking? Well, like I said, I kind of thought about this as being in the same category as The Devil Bat. So I took a look at where that is on the list. Uh, it's currently at number 79. And right above it is the 1920 version of Jekyll and Hyde. And, I mean, that's a pretty primitive movie, But, like, ultimately, I think it's much more sincere in its attempts to frighten. This movie isn't a horror comedy. Like, this is for sure a horror movie. But it's a horror movie that kind of knows how ridiculous it is and is, like, okay with winking at you occasionally to say, like, hey, we know this is stupid. Whereas Jekyll and Hyde wasn't like that. So that's kind of my my ceiling is Jekyll and Hyde. Um, And then working my way down... My floor ended up being The Mummy's Hand, which is number 82, because, like, The Invisible Ray might be better than this. It had, like, that neat, like, revenge story between Lugosi and Karloff and, like, the glowing and the melting things with the laser beam. The Mummy's Hand is just dumb and bad and slow-paced and bad, and I think I enjoyed this a lot more. So that's my range. It's 79 to 82. Okay. We might have some discussion. Oh, no. So... Way higher or way lower? Higher. So I was thinking about the other movie that this really closely resembles, in addition to The Ape Man, and that's The Corpse Vanishes. hmm That's currently ranked at number 60. Now, that movie is bonkers. Yes. And I think, like, in terms of construction... I don't know. I, I would probably put them at about the same level. I don't know. But 
because of how bonkers it is and the status it has, I was thinking that this movie could go below Corpse Vanishes. And then I went to The Mad Monster at 62, so only two spots lower. So The Mad Monster also has George Zuko turning his handyman into a werewolf oh, via wolf transfusion. Yes. Okay, I remember this one now. Um, and that movie was terrible. Yeah, the only thing I really remember liking about that movie was at the very start where Zuko imagines all of the people who called him crazy and then proceeds to give them a speech about he's going to build a werewolf army for the U.S. government. Yes. That was the best part of that movie. So I felt that in terms of the Voodoo Man's construction, its pacing, the way it was really able to handle like doing these meta jokes while not losing sight of its end goal of whatever the plot was, um, I felt like the Voodoo Man could go above the Mad Monster. So that means that this is basically either below Corpse Vanishes at 60 or above the Mad Monster at 62. Right in between there is The Invisible Man Returns, and I don't know what to think about that, but I wanted to hear what you think about my range. I think you have a very good point about this versus Corpse Vanishes. It's it's tough because like I think Corpse Vanishes is trying for a more serious tone than this, but I do agree with you that this is much... I think this is better constructed than Corpse Vanishes. I think the elements come together in a way that makes a bit more sense. They're both still nonsense, right? You know, it comes down to, like, your personal taste. What do you think is more believable? Keeping your wife alive long after her death with gland infusions or with soul infusions? You know, it's funny, like, you brought up that point about they've only done this three times, but she's been kept alive for 22 years, and you're totally right, like, that's super weird. I wonder if the idea is supposed to be that they've been going from, like, town to town, because at one point the sheriff says, like, oh yeah, Dr. Marlowe recently moved into the old... Johnson Place, or whatever. But the other thing I was thinking about was, like, George Zuko has legit, honest voodoo powers. Like, he can actually control people's minds and move them from soul to soul. He runs a gas station. (laughs) My question is this. Was he just the guy who happened to run a gas station in this town when Dr. Marlowe showed up with his not-quite-dead-as-you-understand-it wife, and then Marlowe was like, wait... You know voodoo? Who would have thought? Come, help me with this. Or were they already partners and Zuko got the job at the gas station and rose up to the position of manager so that they could enact this plan? No, no, no. Yes, he's always been partners with Marlo, but when they moved here, he bought the gas station to run it. Mm, okay. It's still, like, the idea... Anyways, um, so on some levels I could actually see this going above Corpse Vanishes, um, just because I think it's actually, like, solidly written in a way that's a lot better, but, you know, is the tone something you hold against it? Because I think Corpse Vanishes is a little more serious, and I think Invisible Man Returns was trying as well to be, like, a little bit more chilling and serious. It's just, Mm -hmm. it just kind of comes out to be a big bag of nothing is the problem with Invisible Man Returns. Mad Monster, yeah, is, it's got the sin that this movie doesn't, which is that it's boring, because 80% of Mad Monster is watching, like, Werewolf Handyman just walk back and forth across the forest set. So I'm kind of coming around to your range. I'm just looking between your 
floor and my ceiling to kind of, like, see if there's anything in here that really strikes me as, oh, actually, it shouldn't go above this or whatever. Um, but, yeah, actually, I think I'm okay with putting this above Mad Monster, below Invisible Man Returns. Cool, let's do that. Okay. I think those, the two movies above should get some points for the more serious tone rather than the tongue-in-cheek tone. Yeah. So entering the list at number 62 is Voodoo Man from 1944, directed by William Bodine. If you would like to see this list, you can go to our website, screamscenepodcast.tumblr.com. There you can find links to the other episodes that we've mentioned today, as well as our appeals box. If you would like to submit an appeal of this or any other ranking, any questions, concerns, comments, anything of that sort, you can get in touch through our ask box online or email us at screamscenepodcast at gmail.com or talk to us on Twitter at underscore screamscene. Scream Scene updates every Wednesday on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, and many other podcasting services if you subscribe to our RSS feed. You can help the show out by sharing us with your friends, uh, whether that's through social media or just face-to-face. Word of mouth is the best way for podcasts to grow their audience. A more direct way that you can help support the show is by heading over to patreon.com slash screamscenepodcast, where you can become a patron of the night for as little as a dollar a month. Patrons at the higher levels receive rewards like bonus audio for every episode that comes out. And if we hit our first Patreon goal of $150 a month, we're going to start doing bonus episodes, one every month, on horror-adjacent movies, which means we might have to sit through Revolt of the Zombies, where Manton Moreland and John Carradine are involved in making Nazi zombies. If you want to put us through that horror, sign up to patreon.com slash Podcast. What are we watching next week, Ben? Ah, next week, Sarah, we return to RKO and the films of Val Luton with Curse of the Cat People. Cool, yeah, I've been very interested to see this. Yeah, it's, I think, 100% different than what you'd expect, no matter what you've been told or what your expectations are. Yeah. All right, well, folks, tune in next week for that. See you next week, Creatures of the Night. Bye. Bye. Bye.